This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Great Lakes Kids Apparel. That's right. Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers affordable, wearable, and playable clothes for your little one to enjoy. Plus, Great Lakes Kids Apparel is a mom-owned business, so you know your kids will love these clothes. And Great Lakes Kids Apparel offers fast, free shipping on orders over $50, not to mention amazing customer service. So head over to GreatLakesKidsApparel.com or click the link in the show description and use promo code LOCKS to get 20% off your first order today. This episode of Check the Locks is brought to you by our friends at Audible. Audible is your one-stop shop for audio entertainment where you can always find the best of what you love or discover something new. That's right. Audible offers an incredible selection of audiobooks across every genre, from mysteries, thrillers, biographies, and of course, true crime. And as an Audible member, you can choose one title a month from their catalog to keep forever, including the latest bestsellers and new releases. Audible members also get access to thousands of podcasts from popular favorites, exclusive new series, and this very podcast you're listening to now. Plus, the Audible app makes it easy to listen anytime, anywhere. While traveling, working out, walking the dog, doing chores, Audible makes listening anywhere easy. And best of all, Check the Locks listeners can try Audible for free for 30 days. So head over to audibletrial.com slash check the locks or click the link in the show notes to start enjoying Audible today. Warning, Check the Locks podcast is a true crime podcast and may contain graphic descriptions of violence, murder, sexual assault, and more. Check the Locks podcast is not appropriate for all listeners. Listener discretion is strongly advised. Welcome back to Check the Locks presents True Crime for the Short on Time. As always, I'm John Connor. And I'm Olivia Cornu. Saying thank you for joining us this week as we dive into yet another truly terrifying, bite-sized true crime case. Before we get started, Olivia, I have to apologize. We are recording on a Tuesday night because somebody accidentally deleted the entire session for this episode. So we are redoing this. (laughs) Thank you for being willing to come in and re-record the episode. And as always, how are you? How was your work day? You're in your scrubs. I got off work and then got dinner and came right here. So how was your day? How's everything been? John, I mean, just deleting the audio. What kind of podcaster are you? But I'm happy to be here. We're going to get the content back and going. And it's actually a really good case. But yes, it's been a busy day and we are here. I am still in my work clothes. (laughs) (laughs) But we're going to get it done and we're going to get it out to everybody. Happy New Year. How are you doing? Happy New Year. I'm doing great. And I will say, you know, when this first happened, I did have a moment of panic where I was like, no, I deleted the episode because I was moving things from my Mac to my external hard drive to make sure that we had everything archived. And then today we hit 75,000 downloads and 
Exactly. And as bummed out as I was that I lost the original recording in this episode, I was really excited that we got to re-record it so that I could share that news with you because I know we haven't talked all day because you've been at work. But also just to say thank you to the listeners. When we started this, you and I can both agree. We're like, uh, we hope somebody listens. You know what I mean? So to know that 75,000 people have downloaded and listened to us just kind of ramble on is absolutely amazing. And I also, when you told me this right before we started recording, I was in my head thinking 7,500 and I was just kind of like thinking for the week. But once you just said 75,000, that's huge. So like a real big congratulations to you and everybody. Thank you for listening. It just clicked in my brain that it's 75,000. <laughs> Yeah. And I did, you know, put a post in our Facebook group, but truly we cannot express just how thankful and how lucky we feel that not only do we get to do this show together every week, but the fact that you guys listen and enjoy it and interact with us and just hang out. It's been so cool to see this community grow and we're not even a year in yet. So I'm really excited to see how this continues and here's to the next 75,000. But thank you guys for going on this journey with us and just letting us be part of your lives because it is absolutely an amazing feeling. Yes, exactly what John just said. Couldn't do it without y'all for sure. All right. So that is enough of the stuff that has nothing to do with true crime. This is a short on time episode. Olivia, this is your week round two because I messed up. So what are we talking about this week? So this week we're going to talk about a mother's revenge and we're going way back to like the 1970s and all the way across the Atlantic to Germany. Mary Ann Bachmeyer was born June 3, 1950, and grew up in Germany after her parents fled from East Prussia. She was 16 years old when she had her first child, which was given up for adoption. By 18, she was pregnant again with her then-boyfriend. This child, too, was given up for adoption. Now, on November 14, 1972, Mary Ann birthed her third child, Anna Bachmeyer. Anna's father chose not to be involved, and Mary Ann raised Anna as a single mother. Mary Ann was a struggling waitress. On May 5, 1980, Anna, only seven years old, had an argument with her mom and decided that she was going to skip school that day to see her friends. Now, I'm not really sure what a seven-year-old's doing skipping school, but she did, and we're in the 70s. You're never too young to be rebellious. You know what yeah. I mean? I had yeah. ran away a lot at seven, which just means I went down the street. You know what I mean? So. Yeah, and I'm like, are her friends like four and like not in school or like, you know, whatever. Right. But... <laughs> Anna pretended to set out to school, but instead was greeted by her known neighbor, Klaus Grabowski. He told Anna that she could come play with his cats, which is something she had done before. Now, Grabowski was a 35-year-old butcher. Klaus was known to the local police as he had received probation in 1973 for strangling a 6-year-old girl, and then two years later he had molested two 9-year-old children. At that time, he accepted his punishment of chemical castration instead of a prison sentence. The chemical castration took place in 1976. So this guy just seemed like a monster all the way around. And just with the information that you're giving me about him, I'm very nervous to see where this story goes. But the chemical castration piece is interesting, especially around Germany, because I was you know, looking some things up and found that it looks like in 2017, Germany may have actually stopped using chemical castration. I guess from what I understand, it was originally offered like you could go to prison or like you were saying, you can get chemically castrated. And I guess it, in some cases, prisoners reported being pressured into the chemical castration. And there was some question as to whether or not it may have been voluntary. Uh, and so I know that the Council of Europe's anti-torture committee was really pushing on them to stop doing it. So that's pretty interesting. Yeah. After reading about this case and then looking up chemical castration, I was surprised to see that there are still so many countries 
including the one we live in, that have legalized chemical castration. And so countries like Korea, the Czech Republic, Ukraine, Pakistan, um, and Nigeria all still do chemical castration. And what was fascinating was that the state in which I live in and the state in which I resided in prior to Louisiana have legalized chemical castration of rapists and molesters as a condition of their sentencing. So California, Florida, Guam, Iowa, Louisiana, Montana, and Wisconsin all use chemical castration. And then it said that in California and Florida, the sex offenders who they think are at risk of repeating their crimes undergo this chemical castration and the judges can use their discretion for like first time offenders. So like you could do something once and then the judge can choose to chemically castrate you. This seems so like barbaric. Yeah. And I wonder what the recidivism rate is for these people who are chemically castrated. What percentage actually reoffend? Because I'm with you, it does seem like it is pretty barbaric. And then on the other hand, I'm also like, these are child molesters and rapists. So like, don't know if I really have a problem with it. You know what I mean? It's that like that justice side of my brain with the like human rights side of my brain trying to balance each other out. You know what I mean? It's, it gets to be a little bit of a gray area. Yeah. And then a fact you may not know, but you are a musician, so you might know this about castrato. Is that people who would sing like falsetto because they had been castrated so they could sing higher? It's a type of classical music by a male who was chemically castrated before puberty so that their voice would be so high, which I did not know that was a thing either. Yeah. Now that I'm like, let's not do that. You know what I mean? You're being castrated before puberty. You haven't committed just so that you can hit the high notes, (laughs) you know. Give me a little, give me a little uh, hand action with that one. Some Mariah Carey. (laughs) (laughs) again visual gag for an audio podcast (laughs) john's entertaining me anyways let's get back let's get back let's get back so around 1978 klaus began hormone therapy to reverse the effects of his chemical castration and on that horrible day in may grabowski sexually assaulted anna for hours before he strangled her with a pair of his fiance's tights Klaus placed Anna's body in a box and buried her in a shallow grave on the banks of a local canal. When Klaus's fiance returned home that day to learn what he had done to little Anna, she immediately notified the police. Anna's body was found and Klaus Grabowski was arrested for kidnapping, rape, and murder of seven-year-old Anna Bachmeier. His trial began on March 3, 1981. He testified that he did not intend to sexually abuse Anna. He said that she tried to seduce him and extort him, and he was fearful of returning to prison and thus prompted him to kill her. Again, little Anna is just seven years old, so I don't know that she knows much about extortion of grown men. Or seduction of grown men. Right. He also said that Anna was going to return home and tell her mother that he touched her inappropriately unless he gave her money. Now, these allegations did not sit well with Marianne during the trial. Three days after Klaus testified at court, Marianne snuck in a 22 caliber pistol in the courtroom. When Marianne saw Klaus in the front of the courtroom, she pulled out the pistol and began firing. She fired a total of eight shots, seven of which struck Klaus Grabowski. He died on the way to the hospital, and Marianne was taken into police custody immediately. She told the judge, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to shoot him in the face, but I shot him in the back. I hope he's dead. In her official statement, she wrote, I did it for you, Anna. She included seven hearts to depict the seven years of Anna's life. Now, on November 2, 1982, Marianne was charged in court with murder. The prosecution would later drop the murder charge, and she was ultimately convicted of manslaughter and unlawful possession of a firearm in March of 1983. 
She was sentenced to six years in prison, but only served three years. In 1985, Marianne was released and remarried. She moved to Nigeria and later to Sicily. She was diagnosed with pancreatic cancer and died on September 17, 1996, back home in Germany. Marianne and Anna Bachmeier are buried side by side in Lübeck, Germany. It's a lot. Yeah, this one is definitely a lot. You know, I know we talked about it when we covered the Athena Strand case, but being a father, these cases really slice into me in a way that so many of the ones that we covered don't. And I have to admit, I am very glad that she only served three years. And I'm very glad that it got dropped from murder to manslaughter. Maybe I shouldn't feel that way because murder is murder. But as a parent, I can't say that I wouldn't want to do the same thing. You know what I mean? So it's very easy to put myself into Marianne's shoes and empathize with her in that moment, you know? Yeah. And I think with this being in the late 70s, early 80s, this story got a lot of media attention where it was like, is she in the wrong? Is she a murderer? Yes, she did shoot and kill a man. But I mean, we don't know what we would do in those situations. And what he was saying about her seven-year-old extorting him and threatening to tell her mom for money, like she's seven. She's a very innocent little child. Yeah, if I was in a courtroom and somebody was talking about my child at that age and be like, they tried to, you know, I know my child, you know, I'm sure Marianne knew her child and was like, there is no way that anything that you're saying is true. You know what I mean? And the other thing that I thought was really interesting was that she managed to get a firearm because Germany has pretty strict gun laws. So you know that she made the choice and that she was like, I got to figure out how to get a gun because really the applicant has to prove that they're in a greater danger than the general public and that carrying that gun will keep them safe. So I'm assuming that she probably just found somebody, you know what I mean? But that means this mom who's a struggling waitress, she's now doing God knows what to get this firearm because she's made a choice. And again, not that I think that it's right, but I understand and I kind of respect the choice. I mean, it was also very much premeditated. She had to think about bringing in a gun with the intention to shoot and kill him. And she even said, I wanted to kill him. I wanted to shoot him in the face, but I shot him in the back. This is what I wanted to do. And I failed. Yeah. But I hope he's dead. Yeah. And there's something gratifying to me about the jury being like six years and then a judge being like three years. You're fine. Yeah. You know? Like you did your time. I'm not going to get discredited for not giving you any time because you did kill a human. But like, I can't imagine her sitting in the courtroom, him talking about her child like that. Like she is an innocent little child. And I know people who have talked about if someone hurt my child, I would put that person down like a sick dog, like a dog with rabies. You're a cancer on society. You are like the worst kind of criminal. I have no problem if you hurt my child putting you in the ground. Who's to say, you know, little Anna was his fourth victim that we know of. You know, he strangled a six-year-old girl and molested two other nine-year-olds. And who's to say he didn't wouldn't have gone to prison and come out and then committed this type of crime again? I don't feel like, especially on the pattern of our serial killers and people who tend to harm children, continue to harm children. So, I mean, I'm not mad at Marianne. I'm not mad at her either, you know, and I'm glad that she got to live in Sicily and she got to like enjoy the rest of her life. And again, you know, like you do have to serve some time. Yeah. You can't do what you did and not have to have some kind of penalty for it. But it feels like, you know, the jury, the people involved felt a lot like us where it's like, we got to give you something. But yeah. So I don't know. I mean, if we're talking about the deadbolt test, Marianne murdering Klaus Grabowski, that doesn't rank high for me. As far as, you know, her murdering him. But Anna's story is soul crushing to me. Like that's a 10 Mm. 
for me. And that's, I've talked about before, but as a parent, that's my greatest fear. You know, I ask the universe every night, like keep my child physically safe. I understand that they're going to have emotional challenges and things that like help them grow. But like universe, just keep my kid physically safe, you know? Yeah. And so stories like this, they just, I enjoy doing the podcast and I enjoy talking about these cases. Some of these with the children, like when we go through them, I'm like a little part of me has just died. (laughs) You know what I mean? So coming from someone who doesn't have children, it makes you not want to have children. It's very scary world. Yeah. And I tell my wife all the time, you know, like I am more aware of the stuff because of what we do, like statistically, right. You know, what are the odds? But also like, I'm looking at this kind of stuff all the time. You know what I mean? It's like when you start looking at, you know, murders and terrible things happening to kids and rapists, like your brain, like you sent me that text the other day. If you walking by the train tracks, you're like, hope the boxcar guy isn't on here. You know what I mean? Cause that, that's where yeah. your brain goes. So, uh-huh. Yeah. It's like I'm always on alert, which I've always been that type of person, always just making sure what my surroundings are looking like and who's by me, what that car is. Like I've always just been that kind of person. But this one really gets your mind going, especially when we do these late night episodes. But I'm going to put it at about a five. I think Marianne is got some guts for walking in a German courtroom and shooting her child's killer. But like, again, like I said, I'm not mad at her. That's like put some respect on the name. That's honestly Mm -hmm. how I feel. Yeah. Which I don't know if I should be on record saying that, but I'm going on record to say that. Like, put some respect on her name. You know yeah. what I mean? Mrs. Marianne Buckmeyer. That's right. Well, that is where this week's short on time episode falls on our deadbolt test. Olivia's putting it at a five. I'm putting it at 10. But as always, we want to know where does this case fall on your deadbolt test? You can let us know. Reach out to us on Instagram at Check the Locks Pod. Find us on Twitter at Check the Locks. And if you're not in our Facebook group, what are you doing? Come hang out with us. We would love to get to know you. We would love to have you as part of our community. Also, we have a Patreon. So if you're interested in financially supporting Check the Locks, helping us keep the lights on, you can head over to patreon.com forward slash check the locks. Sign up there. We have a bunch of different tiers. We got stickers, mugs, exclusive t-shirts, all sorts of stuff. We're going to be working on doing some bonus episodes and things like that. So if you are interested and able to help financially support us, please check it out. And if you can't support us financially, that makes total sense. Just listening and hanging out with us every week means the world. It means as much, if not more. So if you are someone who listens to the show, you share it with your friends, you're tuning in every week to both episodes. Just know that we truly appreciate it. That is helping us grow. That is helping us expand our family, our community, and it means the world to us. So that is all that we have for you for this week's short on time episode. Don't forget to subscribe to check the locks on your favorite podcast app. So you never miss an episode. We will see you again next week for a brand new, truly terrifying bite-sized true crime case. But until then, don't forget to check the locks. See you next week.